Hello and welcome back or welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. I'm Dave Mullins. Today I speak with Lauren Conchin. Lauren recently completed her eighth season as the head coach at Hawaii Pacific University and also her third year as an assistant athletic director at HPU. She was named the ITA Division II Women's Coach of the Year in 2013 and 18. She is a member of the ITA Board of Directors and also serves on several other ITA and NCA committees. In this podcast, we discuss Lauren's administrative duties at HPU, how that experience helps to broaden the lens from which you use intercollegiate athletics, how coaches can take more of a leadership position within their athletic department, and also discusses how administrators are dealing with the COVID-19 crisis. Plus, we get into a little bit of tennis here and there. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Lauren. Hello there, Lauren. Welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah. How are things out in Hawaii? Uh, well, I can't complain too much. I mean, we're on lockdown right now, but um, we're still allowed to go in the ocean, which is very nice. Um, and we're just working from home, which is special, I guess, considering <laughs> normally in April we are running around like crazy. So I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like the idyllic uh, lockdown situation you have. So well done. Um, okay, Lauren, can you can you provide us with a, a quick rundown of your experiences as a college tennis player where you played some of your work experience after college and then why you moved into college tennis coaching? Sure. Um, so I spent my first two years at a junior college um, called Collin County. Uh, it's in Plano, Texas. Then I transferred to Stony Brook University in New York. Um, I really wanted to go into broadcasting, uh, specifically uh, journalism, sports journalism. I was really interested in that. Um, so I, I applied to a um, internship at CBS Sports in New York City after I was finished with my eligibility. Uh, I was surprised that I got the internship. And then I was hired there after I graduated from college. So I worked at CBS Sports for two years. Uh, I wanted to be a sports reporter, a sideline reporter. Uh, and so the network told me, okay, well, you're, you're working for the top of our industry right now. I was really lucky. I got to work on March Madness and NFL. Um, I got to work for the U.S. Open. So mm. it was great. But they said, you should you should try uh, to go somewhere smaller so you get some experience or you actually have a chance to get mm -hmm. on the air. So I decided to move home. I, I wasn't really sure um, where else to go. So I thought, okay, I'll move home. I'll use some contacts I have there. When I moved home, a friend of mine was hired at Hawaii Pacific University as the head coach. And he contacted me and said, you know, I really need an assistant coach. Are you interested? And at the time I said, no, no, I'm not interested at, at all. I'm going to, I'm going to be on television. Well, I started working for the, the network, the TV stations here, and I didn't like it at all. You know, I had gone from, from working with March Madness and the NFL Today uh, set. And then I was, and being asked to go to high school softball and I was like, Oh, this is terrible. <laughs> I don't like it at all. It's not fun. Mm -hmm. So, and I also realized a couple other things about myself that I really enjoyed privacy. I didn't want people to know who I was. And I, 
quite honestly, um, I, I kind of like not putting much effort into myself. So I didn't want to have to like go out and look good all the time and put on a lot of makeup. So, uh, Typical started, tennis coach. Uh, yeah, really. Yeah. I, the, the idea of getting dressed every day, I was like, oh, that's hard. So um, so I started freelance writing for, for magazines. I, I was a food writer um, and which is funny because I just like eating food. I, I don't know anything about food besides that I like it. So I was writing articles about food and restaurants and um, I, I wasn't doing anything. So I called um, my friend and I said, Hey, look, I've been home for four or five months and I'm not doing anything. So if you need an assistant, I, I would love to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I thought from, I had two very different college tennis experiences. You know, my junior college was very family oriented. Uh, it was a small environment and, and I had a great time. Uh, when I transferred to Stony Brook, it was just very different. We had one coach who was trying to manage both teams, which now as a coach, I know is very hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had a lot of I had a lot of ideas of what I could do as an assistant coach based on my experiences. So that was it. I, I started helping him in 2007 and I was getting paid $60 every two weeks. And uh, <laughs> I loved it. He, he stepped down in 2010 and I was promoted as head coach in yeah 2010. So Okay. Very good. Uh, that's a great, great, great background story. Um, and, and so then in what year then did you take on administrative duties at, at the, in the athletic department at HBU? So it kind of started off that I, so I was hired as the assistant in 2008, the marketing coordinator left, uh, they needed somebody to fill her position. So they asked me, would you be interested in in doing this job as well as being the assistant coach. So I said yes, because I was only making $60 an hour. I was teaching at a country club as well, but still it wasn't much money. (laughs) And, um, sorry, $60 every two weeks. But, um, so I started with the marketing coordinator position and then, uh, in 2000, uh, 2014, I want to say I was, um, promoted to assistant AD. Okay. And, and what qualities do you think the AD saw in you to, to make that, make that move or make that decision? Well, it was a new AD uh, that came in and made that change before when he got hired, he and I had a conversation about the amount of work that I was putting in for the athletics department. Mm-hmm. Um, I shared with him that I felt like I, I took on a lot more than just a marketing coordinator and for a resume that I, I thought that it, it would be, um, it was not only deserved to have some type of title change, but it also just made sense with the amount of work that I was taking on. So he, when he, when he first got hired, he said, okay, let me just get a feel for what you're doing and then we can look at it later. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of the things that he hopefully saw was that uh, I was very fair um, in, in the, the choices that I made. Uh, I am a very hard worker and volunteer for, you know, whatever people need, which in any department or in any um, 
any part of our athletics department. And I think I also had or have the ability to see the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. So even as the women's tennis coach, I, it's rare if I'm just pushing for things for my program, it really does. Um, because our program is just a small piece of the bigger picture and that has to work in order for everything to work. Right. No, that's, that's an interesting point that I want to get into a little bit more. Um, because I, I think a lot of coaches, uh, at least from, from what I can tell and, and my own experience as well, there, there's also often a lot of friction between the coach and, and the administrator and coach feeling like the administrator just doesn't get them and doesn't get the sport and, and what they're trying to do with their program and probably, um, the administrator may feel the same or they may just be distracted with a lot of other things going on and may not be able to give the attention to, to tennis that, that that may like. But how has your time as an administrator changed your perspective on, on college tennis or maybe broadened the way in which you think about the world of college sports and college tennis specifically? Well, I think uh, just having an, an administrative role has really allowed me to see the different quirks or nuances of each sport mm. and it really has it's it's really amazing when you you think okay we're all in college athletics and we're all doing kind of similar things and it's so different across every sport and um even within college tennis i mean i look at at what i do and when i talk to people who are in power five conferences in, in division one, I'm like, wow, we have the same title, but we do not have the same job at all. <laughs> so the, it's, it's um, made me really appreciate and see the differences that we all have. Um, and also the similarities that we all have, just the struggles with student athletes or parents or recruiting or balancing um life and family and work or whatever it is um we're just uh yeah it's it's really been an eye-opener um sometimes it's a little shocking um mm. and yeah but i i think one of the great things is um getting to know all those different aspects of sports and coaches has really helped me do a better job mm -hmm. as a tennis coach yeah and and uh how, how do you then balance your administrative and, and your coaching obligations? You're, you're, you have a lot on your plate. So how do you manage to do that? And, and also a, a, a family as well? Well, to be honest, I, I've, I did a much better job of it when I was younger. Um, <laughs> so I, I worked a lot more. Um, I, I, kind of worked all the time because I just had myself to worry about and I had um, my boyfriend who's now my husband but you know just whatever if I wanted to work at two in the morning that that's what I was gonna do and <laughs> so what so as as I got older and had a family um, I I've now kind of realized that I I don't say yes to as many things as I used to. Um, unfortunately, I've gotten okay with certain things being average, which is, which I'm not proud of to admit, but there are some things that I just cannot devote a hundred percent of my time to. Um, in 2017, 
I decided to finish my master's that I had started in 2008. <laughs> so, um, and, and my, my, professor who was overseeing my my final project told me don't let perfect become the enemy of the good and it was something that I had never heard before and I, I really took it into my work also that I would spend a lot of time trying to perfect things and now I'm just have to be okay with it being good mm. so do you kind of break down the year then in terms of where you're going to put put your attention uh throughout you know mm -hmm. kind of the calendar year month by month or is it really just kind of week by week and trying to uh figure out what fires need to be put out where and how i wish i could say that i was ultra organized and had everything planned out on a calendar that's like my dream human being i was <laughs> to be that kind of person <laughs> but um, uh, it really kind of goes on a weekly a weekly type of thing and sometimes daily and although it's for some people it does look um, unorganized even for me it does feel like that sometimes mm -hmm. I, I think for, for how I operate it does allow me to kind of go with the flow there's not a lot of things that can happen throughout my day that will throw me off um, because it does have like some unstructuredness to it. Mm -hmm. So I kind of look at it as a positive thing that if something gets thrown my way, I'm just like, okay, well, let's just take care of that now. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. all right. So is that, is that happened slowly over time? You said that your, your professor had a big influence uh, on you in, in that regard and, and kind of making peace with uh, not having everything perfectly lined up and, and done to the max. Is that been kind of a slow uh, progression or, or something you've just um, kind of figured out more recently? Um, I think if I look back on it, it's been a slow progression because when I was younger, I really wanted to prove to everybody that I could do all these things that people were asking and I could do it like really good. And just, it was kind of like, okay, you want to ask me to do that? Just watch how good I'm going to do it. And I can do this and this and this. And as I got older, uh, I started to realize that one, that's not possible to keep up with um, or necessary uh, for that matter. And I started to be a lot more honest with the people that, that I was working with and working for. So even my athletes, um, I started to be very honest with them that, hey, I, I can't take your emergency, quote unquote, at 10 o'clock at night, I am exhausted and I am sleeping or just mm -hmm. telling my boss, I, I'm not capable of doing that project right now. I'm sorry. And that was hard for me in the beginning. Um, but it's definitely gotten easier now mm -hmm. to do that just because I, I have to one, because I, I can't stay awake that late any longer. <laughs> like, I used to stay awake for a long time, which gives you a lot more hours to do mm -hmm. stuff. I'm just tired. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> We're getting old. Uh, well, yeah, well really. thank you for saying yes to coming on the podcast. Um, <laughs> so, so from, 
kind of a, an administrator's perspective, I mean, uh, you know, what, I mean, you're having conversations, I'm sure, with other administrators within your conference and, and obviously with, at HPU as well. But what are they most concerned about right now um, beyond just, you know, kind of what's right in front of us here in the next couple of weeks, but but looking more towards maybe the fall and, and the winter and even uh, next spring season and into 2021? I think one of the biggest concerns for administrators um, with, at HPU or even the ones that I've, I've been fortunate enough to get to know outside of this is that there's so much unknown, which is really unusual for sports um, and even for education when you're planning pretty far ahead into the future. You know, you're projecting your admissions rate, you're scheduling you know, a year in advance or for some sports, three, four years. So I think this feeling of the unknown is very, very scary. Uh, and you're, a lot of people are keeping up with the news mm-hmm. way too frequently um, <laughs> now with, with a lot of time at home. Uh, I think a lot of administrators remember um, 2008 and then even going back to 9-11. So I think those things are are scary and people are planning for the the absolute worst because you have to right. but not really knowing if if you're going to need to plan for the absolute worst and if the worst does happen um I think in college athletics the worst would probably be not not having college football just because of the financial implications and then for the smaller schools not having enrollment numbers they're not having not even having a fall semester on campus then what happens what's next you know yeah yeah it's it's a it's a scary time i mean just in this past week we've seen five division two programs cancelled fayetteville state women's uh, men's and women's at saint edwards and then uh, this morning i saw men's and women's at, at staten island uh were also cancelled so it, it's a really scary time for for coaches at all levels but it seems particularly at division two just the week the week that's in it um now this this podcast will go out a little bit later we're, we're recording this on I don't even know what day it is, April 17th or something. <laughs> but um, but but what themes do you see emerging in terms of how the business of college sports will operate in the next couple of years? I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think in some ways it's very similar to what's happening to many of us on a personal uh, level, that we're really taking the time to examine what is happening in our lives and work financially. And, and I think we can see a lot of those same things in, in business and particularly in college athletics. I mean, we've never had a time to pause and just to, to take a look at these things, but now we do. And, and I think a lot of administrations, not, I think, I, I know a lot of administrations are looking at their budgets very closely. Mm-hmm. And I think Similarly to what we do, what we're doing personally, we're looking at things that are and questioning if it's necessary. And in some ways, it's very good because I think there are a lot of uh, expenses in college athletics that are not necessary. And we can justify them in a in a world where budgets are huge and operation expenses are, you know, everything Mm -hmm. is is great. 
then it's justifiable. But when those resources get taken away from us, you know, we have to think, okay, is it necessary to take a private plane to play a tennis match? <laughs> well, probably not. You know, mm-hmm. I sometimes I think about the things that college athletes get. And then I look at my team when we're traveling and they're all sleeping on the disgusting floor of the airport and they're fine. Like they don't care. They're sleeping on the floor and you know, they're using their nasty tennis bags as pillows. And like they really need all the other fancy stuff when they are totally content doing that. I don't know. I mean, so I think, I I think we're going to, college athletics is really going to be looking hard at how they're spending and it might not be a bad thing for maybe the future student athletes and their development and yeah Mm -hmm. success in the world (laughs) yeah no i mean i I think about that a lot right now and and i i played at a mid-major in the late 1990s and strung our own rackets got four pairs of shoes per year three t-shirts um you know drove a lot in the van i mean had 12 hour road trips to 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 different places um and would not change one aspect of that for a second uh, loved every minute of it had an amazing experience why i'm devoting my life's work to to college tennis um and it's it's do we really need all, all this extra stuff and and is the experience that much better and are and are are our student athletes uh happier um i mean statistics would show that that they're not um so yeah it's it's um look at something we could we could debate all day but it is like you said it's it's good for us to pause and and think about these things so um you know with your your kind of administrator's cap on now so i hear from some coaches that that you know going to their administrator with some cost cutting ideas um you know is not a good idea that that the the administrator might take those things really like them make those cuts and and implement them in, in the long term um is this something you advise would you prefer coaches as an administrator come to you with with ideas um cost cutting and revenue generating solutions or um would you advise coaches just to keep their head down and whatever's coming you know is coming um i i think that being proactive is the best approach uh rather than having somebody come in and tell you to cut, you know, and this is what you're going to cut and you didn't even get a say in it. So I think when you, when you talk about cost cutting ideas, it, it just shows your administrators that you are thinking about the bigger picture, the budget, how it affects others. And you're maybe giving them ideas that they didn't think about in the first place. You know, I think a lot of people, or a lot of administrations, when they think about cost cutting, they're looking at scholarships and travel. Mm-hmm. Those are two huge, um, huge line items. And maybe you have a different idea, or maybe you have people that can do uh, in-kind gifts, uh, whatever it is. Those are all different cost-saving measures. I understand, though, the fear of doing that. You know, we had that for a long time at HPU that it was almost like, you didn't want to show how successful you could be with how little you were getting because Mm -hmm. then that would mean like, well, if you could do it with so little bit, why do you need more? Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> it's very true, but I, I think in these times, um, any input that coaches can give, any ideas they can present is is showing their their administrators that that they are thinking about about the bigger picture and how they impact the overall um, health of the department. And if you're not proactive in this moment, you're just going to have things done for you. And I think as coaches, we all have some uh, need for control over things since we control, Mm -hmm. you know, at least eight to 10 people all the time. And to have that control taken away from you, I think is a lot harder to swallow than just to, to uh, make your own cuts for your, the benefit of your own program. And, you know, I think, if that is a cut that's going to stay in the future, then that's something to worry about later. But you can't mm-hmm. possibly know if that's going to be around in three or four years. Or if college yeah. tennis, you know, if we will even be around in, you know, who knows? So Right, right. It's uh, yeah. You can't worry too much about the long-term implications. It's doing what you can now to, um, to um, yeah. Show, show your athletic uh, department, your athletic director, some some leadership, and and uh, coming to them with some solutions because you're you're probably best positioned as the head coach to to make those decisions and know what you can live and live without. And yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, even I remember as coaching when I was coaching, um, you know, other coaches would say, "Hey, make sure you spend all your budget." You know, if if you got yeah. anything left, make because you won't get that back next year. And it's like, really, I'm going to go and order all this string and you know extra equipment and just for the sake of it i mean it just didn't seem prudent to me but um you know that's kind of the advice out there so i appreciate you sharing your thoughts as an administrator and and uh you know having many interactions with other administrators as well so it's just something that coaches can think about uh, at this time so um with that as well i mean how can coaches maybe take more of a leadership position within their athletic departments even if it doesn't come with a title you said early in your career you were you were doing a lot in your athletic department and it ended up becoming more of a of a, a title and, and you've moved into SWA position now but um what, what can coaches maybe do during this time to show that they are leaders within their athletic departments um i think a big part of it is one volunteering to help where and when you can. I mean, it doesn't certainly doesn't mean saying yes to everything, but there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of universities that don't have huge staff, you know, and, uh, that, you know, they're hurting in, in areas. Uh, so at least at, at HPU, I mean, we need coaches to step in and to, to volunteer and to help to, to manage our department. Uh, and the second thing I would say too is just to speak up. You know, I think we've all been in those meetings where somebody asks a question or an AD asks a question and opin- an opinion and everyone's just sitting there waiting for somebody to say something. <laughs> and you know, people have thoughts in their heads. So <laughs> leaders, leaders speak up, even if it's not the most popular answer, even if it's not, uh, you know, whatever going to be what people want to hear. I think saying things, um, especially if it's something that, that you really believe in, that's important. And then, um, 
for me, just the, the leaders in, within our department who don't have a title are, are people who also see the bigger picture and have a positive outlook for the benefit of the group. You know, so when we're talking in a group setting or in staff meetings, they're, they're not just focused on their program, but they're mm-hmm. talking about everybody as a whole and what we can do together. Because if the department doesn't exist, then it doesn't matter what your program does mm-hmm. or needs or whatever. So, um, yeah, but speaking up is, I think, very yeah. important. <laughs> no, it's, it's good advice, Lauren. Um, okay, uh, on a lighter side, what, what's the best thing and worst thing about being married to the men's tennis coach at HPU? Okay, so the best thing is that, that I have somebody to throw, um, I mean, obviously, on a personal level, there's there's a lot of great things about being married to Hendrik, but <laughs> <laughs> on a career work level, um, I, I think it's it's really special that I have someone who understands what, what I go through on a daily basis. And when I was younger, I had heard from other coaches, Oh, it's coaching is very hard on your, your married life. You know, you're gone so much. And sometimes you have a spouse or significant other who gets frustrated by that, or they don't understand why you need to take recruiting calls in the middle of the night because of time change. Um, So, so someone that really can understand what, what I do on a daily basis. And I can ask him like so many things, you know, mm-hmm. like, Hey, what drill did you guys do for this? Or what were you doing on the court over there? Like, can you show me that? <laughs> so, so that kind of stuff is, is great. Um, mm-hmm. I think what's not so great is that we spend a crazy amount of time together, which ironically is great right now because we're so used to it it's not even a big deal to be stuck in a house all day long but it's like we we sit next to each other in an office um we're just like always together (laughs) sometimes yeah it's it's weird sometimes people in our old office we used to sit with our backs to each other and people like wow that's so weird like well (laughs) <laughs> we can't look at each other all day. <laughs> so. yeah. Okay. So, so do you have any advice for uh, couples that are thinking to get, getting into the, the college coaching business together? <laughs> well, I would, the, my best advice would be to help each other when you can, because the other one will get really mad when you don't help them. <laughs> Mostly me, <laughs> but um, also just, Try not to share too much equipment. This is one mistake we made in the beginning. We were like sharing baskets of balls mm-hmm. and like ordering grips for everyone to use. And it just became a big thing. Like who used the, the rest of the string? Where are the grips? And the guys are destroying the balls. So why do you have to keep getting balls? <laughs> so, um, yeah. A couple of years ago, we separated everything so much better okay yeah Yeah. okay i like that um okay we're gonna move into our rapid fire round so what is one book that made a major impact on you as a coach um Okay, so I have a book and a podcast. So okay. the book was Drive by mm-hmm. Daniel Pink. Um, it really, yeah, it really helped me to understand what motivated people and changed my mind about what I thought motivated my athletes um, mm-hmm. and what actually did motivate them. Right. And then also a great podcast is um, Adam Grant's Work Life mm. podcast. It's 
it's awesome for managing a team or any type of organization. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. I'll, I'll check. I've read, uh, is Adam Grant, did he write originals? Is that, or? What? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. I've read the book, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize he had a podcast, so I will be checking that out for sure. Thank you. Um, what is your favorite drill to do with your team? My favorite drill is called the hundred drill. Uh, it was given to me by the assistant coach at the university of Hawaii who used to be at BYU Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Um, and basically it's a two on one drill and the one player has to get to a hundred points. It's a whole plus and minus system, Mm -hmm. but if they miss in the net, they go back to zero. So it's, um, we've had players get to like 98 and miss in the net and they've already been going for 20, 25 minutes and oh they just, God. they just want to like die. I mean, <laughs> so okay. it's, it's great. Yeah. I like that. All right. Um, name one thing you've changed your mind on in recent years, whether it be in coaching or in life or both. This is a hard one for me, but um, one thing that I've changed my mind about is, the need for having boundaries. I I thought uh, when I was coaching, um, when I was younger, that I wanted to be super accessible to my athletes. I wanted them to be able to come to me at any time for anything they needed. And in recent years, I just realized like, it's too much. I I don't want this. I don't need this. And it's not good for them either. So Mm -hmm. I really changed how I operated in that sense. Okay, well done. And then do you have a favorite quote? I do. My favorite quote is from an, a Danish author, Isaac Dennison, but she, she goes by um, Karen Blixen. And her uh, her quote is, the cure for anything is salt water, sweat, tears, or the sea. <laughs> I've never heard that. Um, excellent. And what is one lesson you hope all your players have learned by the time they leave Hawaii Pacific? This, this one was also very hard. Um, but I, I think what I spend a lot of time teaching my girls is what it means to communicate. Um, a lot of them, when they're younger, they come in, uh, to our program or just as a younger person communicating however they want, you know, so they think, okay, well, this is what I have to say and this is how I'm going to say it because this is what I want to do. And so we spend a lot of time teaching them like, Hey, if you want your teammate to do something or to understand something, you have to think about who you're talking to. And you don't just get to say whatever you want to say because that they're not listening to you in that way. So really spend the time to think about who am I talking to and how should I say it so that they understand what I want them to know. And, um, I, I thought about all the things we teach them or that coaches teach athletes. And for me, this one is so important because they can take it with them mm-hmm. later and yeah, into their future. Definitely. Okay. Well, Lauren, uh, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and, and uh, thank you for your, your service to college tennis. You're currently on the ITA board of directors and, and having a big impact there. So we really appreciate your efforts um, for college tennis. So keep up the great work and we hope to uh, see you on the mainland uh, sometime sooner rather than later. Me too. Me too. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. Okay. Thanks, Lauren. (laughs) Bye-bye.